Well, welcome to the church. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. We're, we're glad that you're here. And man, I'm just excited to be able to worship with all of you here this morning. Excited to be able to bring the word this morning. Um, I hope that you guys all had just an amazing Thanksgiving weekend. I hope you, able, you were able to spend some time with friends and, and family and uh, <clears throat> really reflect on all of those things that you're thankful for this season. Well, if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab that. We're gonna be in Ephesians chapter five. We're gonna continue in this series that we've been in called A Firm Foundation. If you remember, the, the theme of this message is this, knowing and trusting the work that God has already done for you will lead you to establish you in and empower you to live a Christ-centered life. That's the overall overarching theme of the book of Ephesians. And if you remember the last couple of weeks, uh, we've been talking about what it looks like to live a life that is no longer controlled by sin. And you remember Pastor Brian talked about what it looks like to no longer be controlled by anger. And then we looked at what does it look like to no longer be controlled by things like sexual morality and, and, and lies and, and all of that. So this morning, the Apostle Paul is kind of taking all of that and he's, he's wrapping it up. And as I was preparing this message this morning, the thing that kept coming to my mind is clarity. Clarity. What does it look like to live a life of clarity? What does it look like to walk with Jesus with clarity? And so that's what we're gonna talk about this morning, clarity. You see, I, I believe that this message is so important for us here this morning, not only for us in this room or for those of us watching online, but, but for everyone in our culture and in our world today. Clarity is so important. You see, because we live in a world that lifts up and honors busyness and distraction and hurry above all things. And in that busyness and in that distraction and in that hurry, we find ourselves lost. We don't know which way we're going. We need clarity. We're in desperate need of clarity. So I wanna expose the scheme of the enemy here this morning. You see, the enemy knows that if he, if he can rob us of our vision, if he can rob us of our clarity, if he can rob us of our purpose and our intention, then he will render us useless to the kingdom of God. Because the enemy knows something that most of us fail to realize, and that is this, that we are a threat to the spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly places. I love this quote by John Wesley. He says, give me a hundred men who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God and they alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. See, the enemy knows that if a son and daughter of the most high king has clarity of vision, if they are pursuing the will of God and if they are filled with the Holy Spirit, that they will pose a threat to his kingdom that we will shake the gates of hell and the kingdom of Christ will come knocking. 
This is why we need clarity. And so my hope for us all here this morning, what I wanna do is convince you this morning that we need clarity, that clarity can only be found in two things. One, knowing and understanding the will of God and being filled with the spirit of God. And when we take those two things and we put them together, then we will have clarity, we will have purpose, we will have intention for our lives. And we will shake the gates of hell and we will set up the kingdom of heaven on this earth. So this is where we find ourselves here in Ephesians chapter five. So if you have your Bible open, let's go ahead and read this passage starting in verse 15. The apostle Paul says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So Father in heaven, God, we're thankful to be able to come into this place here this morning to pour out our praise and our adoration in song, Lord, to hear what your spirit has to say through your word. God, I pray this morning that we would, be, that we would leave this place different than when we walked in here this morning, that you would be glorified in our lives, that you'd be honored, that you'd be lifted high. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So the first point of the morning is this. This is a basic point. It's a simple point, but I think it's an important point. And that is this, that we need clarity. We need clarity. Paul says, look carefully then how you walk. What he's saying is, is as you walk down the path of life, you need to have a clear vision. Know where you're stepping. Do not walk down the path with your eyes closed. Know which step you're gonna take and have a clear vision of your destination. Know where you're going. Walk, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. You see, we need clarity. And I think there are three reasons why. And the first is this, without clarity, we will not make the best use of our time. Without clarity, we will not make the best use of our time. I love this quote by John Mark Comer. He says this, Corey Tinboom once said that if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Corey Tinboom once said that if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. And there's truth in that. Both sin and business have the exact same effect. They cut off your connection to God, to other people, and even to your own soul. He goes on to say that hurry is violence on the soul. You see, without clarity, we won't make the best use of our time. We're gonna find ourselves distracted with all of those little things, rushing around, but never using our time for that which is most important. 
focused on the kingdom, focused on our God, focused on other people. And when we become busy and distracted, it cuts off our connection to God. It cuts off our connection to other people and it cuts off our connection even to our own soul. We need clarity. I love what Psalm 90, 12 says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Well, not only will a lack of clarity render us useless with our time, but also without clarity, we will not have clear identity and purpose. Without clarity, we will not have a clear identity and purpose. We'll be looking for identity and purpose in anything and everything but the one thing that will satisfy, and that is in Christ and Christ alone. We'll find identity and purpose in things like our career. Have you ever had this conversation? You, you, you just met somebody, you're, 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 you're talking to them the first time, you're shooting the breeze and they ask you this question, what do you do? And how often when asked that question, do you immediately go to, well, I work over here at this place. I like, I make helicopter parts. Like I'm a senior associate over here at this place. Like I'm CEO of a fortune 500 company. No, maybe that's just what I want to say. What do I do? I make disciples. What do I do? I am bringing the kingdom of God to bear on this earth. What do I do? What, What kind of question is that? What about relationships? We'll find identity and purpose. And man, I just wanna have a spouse. And if I could just find that, that wife, if I could just find that, that husband, then I'll just be everything that God created me to be. And all the married people in the room said, all right, go for it. Just kidding, marriage, marriage is great. <clears throat> What about possessions? We'll find clear, we'll try to find uh, some type of clear identity and purpose in possessions. We'll be that, that guy that's got that house on the hill or, or that girl with that, that fancy new car or the next big thing. We'll find, try to find our identity in all of those things. But none of these things will truly ever satisfy because true identity and purpose is found in Christ and Christ alone. And this is why we need clarity because clarity gives us identity. It gives us purpose. It teaches us how to use our time wisely. But also without clarity, we will not know right from wrong. Without clarity, we will not know right from wrong. Look back at verse 16, Paul says, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. You see, without clarity, we will not know what, it, what, what, what an evil day looks like. Without clarity, we will not be able to discern what is right from wrong, what is straight from what is crooked. I love this, uh, Solomon, the, the wisest man to ever live on the face of the earth says this in Ecclesiastes 1.5, he says, what is crooked cannot be made straight and what is lacking cannot be counted. And what he is saying there is, listen, you cannot make the crooked path of sin somehow lead to the straight path to God. 
but without clarity, we're always going to try, right? And this is this idea that what's crooked can't be made straight. This is contrary to what our culture today believes, is it not? We hear things like, you don't need to change. Pursue what makes you happy. Live your truth. That's what God wants for you. See, this is why we need clarity because clarity shows us the straight path. A few years back, I, I lived up in Washington State in the greater Seattle area. Uh, and every once in a while, like after it had rained for like three months straight, you'd have this one day where it just didn't rain, but, but that day would always be the day where this massive fog would just fall on the entire area. You can't see anything, can't even see my hand in front of me. And driving in that was just insane, right? Like in my apartment complex, trying to take a left turn out of there, just hoping I don't get hammered, right? And it was so important for me when I was trying to drive to work to, to focus on the fog line. That's that white line on the right side of the road. It shows you where the road is straight and it shows, us, shows you where the, where the road curves. You have to follow the fog line. You cannot even trust the taillights in front of you because you don't know if they're following the fog line or not or if they're just trying to go off memory. Right? They're just gonna plow their car straight through the 7-Eleven. You have to look at the fog line to know where you're going. And just like the fog line shows us the curve of the road, so knowing God's will and being filled with the spirit gives us a clear view of the right path. So knowing God's will and being filled with the spirit gives us a clear view of the right path. It gives us clarity. So let's unpack those two things. The first is this, point number two, clarity is found in knowing and understanding God's will. Clarity is found in knowing and understanding God's will. The apostle Paul says, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. Now, I'm gonna attempt to do something here this morning that probably, I wonder if it's, if it's ever been done, right? Because this question of, of God's will, like, like what is God's will for my life and how do I figure out is probably the biggest question to ever grace Christianity like of all time, right? Like how many here, how many of you here, raise your hand, have you, have you asked the question, man, what is God's will for my life? Like I wanna know what God's will is for my life. Exactly. Biggest question, I'm gonna attempt to answer this question. And in my study of the previous five chapters here in Ephesians, I've come to this conclusion. I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt that this is God's will. God's will for your life and for mine is this, holiness. Holiness is God's will for your life that we would pursue becoming holy as God is holy with every ounce of our being, that, that when we leave this life, that when we walk from this life into eternity, that we could say that I was more holy on that last day than I was when I got here. 
that I'm more holy tomorrow than I am than I was yesterday, than I am today. God's will for your life is holiness. But I think that there are some common misunderstandings when it comes to God's will, is there not? Maybe that it's situational, right? We always ask the question, well, okay, but, but does God want me to, to live in this place or does he want me to live in that place? Does he want me to marry this person or does he want me to marry that person? Right, should I buy this house? Should I buy, should I buy the blue car? Should I buy the red car? Like what's God's will for my life? I think this is just too small, too narrow-minded of a focus. And if we could just, just stop staring, just stop staring at our belly button for just a second, just lift up our eyes and say, okay, God's will for my life is holiness, then it would clear up a whole lot of questions that we have. If you wanna answer some of these what is God's will, this house or that house? What is God's will, this relationship, that relationship? Ask yourself this question, will this make me more holy? Will this make me more holy? You see, because God cares about those situational things to the extent that they make us more or less holy. When you ask the question, should I be in this? Is it God's will for me to be in this relationship right now? If it makes you more holy, then the answer is yes. But if, it, if that person is not leading you to holiness, if that person is leading you down the path of sin and destruction, then I can answer with this, that is not God's will for your life. That relationship is not God's will for your life. It is not leading you to holiness. often asked the question, God, is it your will for me to have a Lamborghini? That's a fair question, right? God, is it your will for me to have a Lamborghini? And when I consider all the ways in which I would get a Lamborghini outside of my wife landing some amazing job and just becoming my sugar mama, right? Like this is not gonna happen. I ain't gonna get a Lamborghini. Right, the only way that I'm getting a Lamborghini is if I steal it, and that's not gonna make me more holy. That's gonna lead me down the path of sin and not down the path of holiness. And so it is not God's will for me to have a Lamborghini. But when I consider, God, is it your will for me to have this 1993 Toyota pickup that doesn't run 90% of the time? God's like, yeah, go for it. It's great. That is, that is my will for you. I think another common misconception when it comes to God's will is that well, just, God just has a wonderful plan for your life. Now, I'm not saying he doesn't have a wonderful plan for your life, but what I am saying is that your understanding of what a wonderful plan is is probably completely different than God's idea of a wonderful plan for your life. Right, like when I consider what's a wonderful plan for my life, I'm I'm thinking, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go to college, I'm gonna get this cool degree, right? Maybe in like, I don't know, I can't think of anything cool, but I'm gonna get a cool degree, right? 
I'm gonna meet a nice girl. I'm gonna get married. I'm gonna have an awesome career. I'm gonna buy that house in that cul-de-sac that I always wanted. I'm gonna have three kids and a dog. I'm gonna re- retire, right, at the, at the age of 60. I'm gonna live to the ripe old age of 95. And then, man, that's a wonderful plan for my life, right? See, God's wonderful plan for your life looks a little different. See, because God knows he knows that his plan for your life is holiness. That's, that's God's will. But he also knows this, that holiness is forged in the, fr- in the fires of trial and tribulation. Holiness is forged in the trials or in the fires of trial and tribulation. James 1, 2 through 4 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You see, God knows that holiness is so much better and so much more wonderful than any fleeting moment of happiness that we might experience in this life. So God forges us into holy people in the little moments of life. She's got working through your anxiety as you sit in the dentist office. It's God chiseling away at your anger as you sit in traffic. It's God exposing your selfishness through marriage. It's God showing you how to use your singleness for his glory and his kingdom. He's like a diamond cutter, patiently, slowly, and gracefully chiseling and shaping us into the image of his amazing son. That's God's wonderful plan for your life. So God does have a plan, but oftentimes it looks a whole lot different than our wonderful plan. You see, if we, this is why we need clarity, because if we don't understand what God's will is, then we will not be able to see clearly enough to walk in the holiness that he's called us to. And this is why we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, to fill our hearts and our minds with anything other than the spirit that is holy will not accomplish the will of God. Did you catch that? To fill our hearts and our minds with anything other than the spirit that is holy will not accomplish the will of God. This is why he brings up drunkenness in this passage. Because drunkenness is the outcome of having your mind filled with something that is other than God. In this illustration, in this case, it's alcohol. See, it doesn't lead us in the right direction. It hijacks our clarity and emphasizes what's less important, overlooking the most important, which is your holiness. He says, don't be filled with drunkenness because it leads to debauchery. And to put it simply, the word debauchery simply means this, extravagant waste. Do not be drunk because it's an extravagant waste. It's a waste of your mind, your focus, your purpose, your clarity. It's a waste of your time. It's a waste of your talents. It's a waste of your treasure. See, our hearts and our minds cannot be filled with two things at once. Either the spirit will fill your mind or something else will. I, I, I love what J.C. Ryle says. He's an old preacher, probably dead now, I don't know. But he says, praying and sinning cannot live together in the same heart. 
Either sin will choke prayer or prayer will consume sin. Loose paraphrase, something like that. hearts and our minds cannot be filled with two things at once. Either the spirit will fill our mind or something else will. Without his Holy Spirit, there's no possibility of pursuing holiness, which leads me to my third point here this morning, which is this. Being filled with the spirit gives us clarity. Being filled with the spirit gives us clarity. What does it look like to live a spirit-filled life? I think Paul gives us three marks here in the text of what a spirit-filled life should look like. Look at verse 19. He says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the three practical marks of a spirit-filled life, the first is worshiping together. Worshiping together. It's interesting, isn't it, that Paul brings up singing here in this passage. It seems like, man, out of all of the things that he could have said, that that what it should look like to be filled with the spirit, out of all those things, he brings up singing. Why singing? I think because Paul knows the Ephesian church. And Paul knows that the Ephesian church needs this. Revelation 2 shows us why. In Revelation chapter 2, Jesus is talking to the church in Ephesus. And this is what he says. He says, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil. But you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and have found them to be false. And I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. Jesus is saying you have done amazing things. But he goes on, but this I have against you. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. You have abandoned the love you had at first. You see, the church in Ephesus was much like our church here today. A model church. They had all the ministries. They had all the programs. They had, it was buzzing with action. There were people serving in every place. They worked hard for the Lord. They endured suffering with great patience. They took no part in evil. They were sound in their doctrine. They did not grow weary in their walk with Christ. Yet Jesus had this one thing against them. You have left your first love. You see, I'd stop doing the one thing that was most important to God, worship and adoration. Worship and adoration. They had literally stopped adoring Jesus Christ. They no longer were they outpouring song and praise in this church. They had left their first love. They may have had a killer worship band but the congregation was bored, unengaged, and lifeless. They had stopped addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs because they had stopped adoring their Lord and God. See, they had the works. They had the faithfulness. They had the doctrine. 
But unfortunately, they had no spirit and therefore no clarity. They missed what was most important, worshiping together in song and praise. Worship is literally ascribing worth to someone or something. In our case, that someone is God. It's an outpouring of our adoration, adoring our Lord and God. See, this is not just a command for Pastor Blake and the worship team. He's not shifting gears here in this text to address the worship leader in the room. No, Paul's talking to the church. And if we wanna live a life of true clarity by being filled with the Holy Spirit, we need to make the weekly worship services a priority and come ready to sing and ready to sing loud. And listen, I know that this makes some of you uncomfortable, right? Like I grew up in the Baptist church. And if there's any church in which there is statuesque hymnal in your hands and lips barely moving, that's that church. I get it. This, this, this is uncomfortable. You're probably thinking, no way, man. This is not my thing. Singing is not my thing. I just like to come. I just like to take it all in. But that's not the command that we've been given. Maybe you're thinking, I just like to sing in my house or I like to sing in my car. Why do I got to sing in front of other people? Answer, because singing to yourself is like trying to baptize yourself in your own bath- bathtub, right? Right, and it's like in there, you're just like, mm, oh, got it, done. Right? It doesn't lift up the church, it doesn't lift up the body of Christ. See, standing there, unengaged, will not do because we are called to worship the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, pouring out our adoration with everything that that we have, all of our being poured out in worship and praise and song to our God in the midst of the congregation. I love what Hebrews 2.12 says, I will tell of your name to my brothers and in the midst of the congregation, this congregation, he says, I will sing your praise. So we need to recognize the importance of singing out loud together in this worship service. This is not optional. If we're gonna glorify God and encourage one another, then we must address one another in song out of an overflow of a heart that truly adores Jesus Christ. We're gonna have an opportunity to do that at the end of this service. And I want us to just blow the freaking roof off this place. Right, like we're not leaving early. We're gonna, we're gonna engage in this place and we're gonna pour out our adoration to our King, amen? Get off that soapbox for a minute. So, spirit-filled life, number one, worshiping together. The second mark of a spirit-filled life is thankfulness. He says, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when we're walking in wisdom and we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we'll have thankful hearts of worship. And it won't matter our individual circumstance, whether we're coming into this place with joy or we're coming into this place with mourning, but we're coming together with glad hearts of worship because we know who our God is. See, thankfulness keeps the important things in focus. 
gives us clarity because it reminds us of what is truly important in this life, of who God is and what he has done for us. See, thankfulness isn't just about the good things. It isn't just about the blessings that we're experiencing, but it also helps you remember what God has already done in the past because that helps us know that he's gonna do it now and he's gonna continue to do it in the future. And it's so important when we come into a place like this, when we're experiencing suffering, it's important to remember that God was faithful in the past and he'll be faithful in the future. I I love the words of the chorus of this uh, song, this worship song, it's called Faithful Now, it's by Vertical Worship. The chorus says this, because you make mountains move, you make giants fall, you use songs of praise to shake prison walls. So I will speak to my fear and I will preach to my doubt that you are faithful then and you'll be faithful now. See, thankfulness reminds us of who our God is. That he is faithful. Thankfulness reminds you of his faithfulness. Thankfulness reminds you of his faithfulness. It's very riddly. That's for Ernie because he likes to speak in riddles. See, thankfulness keeps us constant in prayer. When you're giving thanks always and for everything, you will be constant in prayer. And so the first mark of a spirit-filled life is worshiping together. The second is thankfulness. And finally, the third mark of a spirit-filled life is submission. See, submission is ultimate clarity because it reminds us of what is ultimately true, that you and I are not on the throne. Submission is ultimate clarity because it reminds us that God is God and there is no other. We're like, I'm not God and you're not God. There's only one God and submission reminds us who he is. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, submission also removes an individualistic mindset. It refocuses our mind on everyone else. If you have time this week, you should look up Philippians 2, 1 through 4. It gives you practical examples of what it looks like to submit to one another. To be of the same mind, the same love, having no selfish ambition, but having humility towards everyone, pursuing the interests of others. See, submission is the third mark of a spirit-filled life, counting everyone else more important than yourself. So as we wrap it up here this morning, what now, where do we go from here? What do we do with this? I want us to consider three things. First is where is God convicting you? Where is God convicting you? Are you in need of clarity? Have you misunderstood God's will for your life? Do you need to be filled with the spirit of holiness? And then number two, what needs to change in your life in order to pursue God's will and live a spirit-filled life? What needs to change? See, some of you here have some big decisions to make. 
Finally, what is your plan for change? See, we can say that was convicting. We can say I'm gonna change all day long, but unless you have a plan, it'll never happen. So when you figure it out, I want you to write it down and I want you to hand it to somebody, a faithful brother in Christ, maybe your community group leader. And say, this is my plan for change. This is what I'm gonna do about it. Hold me accountable. Well, I hope that as you leave this place today, you are convinced that clarity can only be found in knowing and understanding God's will and being filled with his spirit. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you for everyone here in this room. God, I pray, Lord, that as they leave this place, they leave this place different than when they got here. God, that they would be challenged. God, that they would be encouraged because you are faithful. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.